so anyway, John, I was telling her, like, you better have my money. That's <laughs> And that's all I'll say. I mean, that's just how I'll conclude the story. But in, in any event. <laughs> I mean, they need to know. Yeah. Don't you shouldn't have to put your rings on. I mean, this is too, like this is too much, okay? Oh, we're off to a flying start. Hello everyone. And welcome to a special bonus episode. Bonus episode. Yes, of the Aspiring Snobs. After we did um one of the one of the world's most popular films, uh, Agira, the Wrath of God, we thought, "Hey, why don't we look at some movies that people actually see and want to see?" <laughs> yes. So, with the upcoming Avengers: colon, Infinity War, we thought mm-hmm. we'd take a look back at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, all 18 of them. I call this episode Doctor Strange Love, or How I Stopped Worrying and Started to Love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Brilliant. Good one. Thank you. Ugh, I'm so clever. Yeah. Is that Doctor Strange, comma, love? Like you're, no. like you're addressing somebody? Like, love, Doctor Strange? <laughs> no, I mean, like, he, that movie deserves more love than it gets. That's not true. Like, there's rumors that he might not even make it through Infinity War, which is totally unfair, because I'm waiting for Doctor Strange 2, colon, Stranger Things? Electric Boogaloo, duh. <laughs> the squeakle. The strange cool. The strange cool. Yes, I'm a genius. <laughs> Good one. Uh, already we're off to a ripping start, because you're wrong. Doctor oh. Strange does not deserve the love any love and the problem is i have encapsulating all 18 of these movies is that they're all fine popcorn entertainment Mm -hmm. but i don't know they don't challenge or transcend kind of their their roots i mean it's it's fantastic they're they're fantastically well produced i mean pretty well written well acted all that it just it never reaches those highs that i really want I mean, I, and I don't know. I'm, I don't know. Sorry if I'm expecting you know Oscar <laughs> Oscar material every time, but I, I mean, know, it's just not. But don't, you want to give them some credit because again, there's there's never been a stinker in the bunch, or at least uh, like an out and out terrible flop, like an absolutely atrocious time at the movies. So I yeah. just want to kind of give them credit that for 18 films, they've at least had a level of consistency that we've never seen before, and uh, that feels really... I, 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 even I feel sick saying this to be like, yes, Hollywood should be a producers-driven game. Yeah. Well, I, I guess, if anything, we should also give credit to Kevin Feige for kind Feige. of being this... Feige, or however you pronounce it. <laughs> Whatever, this man, this kind of kindly generous man, mm-hmm. uh, for stewarding all 18 films, and as you said bringing all this material together and producing 18, you know, quality movies. Again, not a stinker in the bunch. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's something that not even, like, Barbara Broccoli can claim with the James Bond movies. <laughs> I mean, don't watch, I mean, we don't don't watch Moonraker. Yeah. We, don't, we don't really talk about uh, The Incredible Hulk all that much, but, you know. Yeah. That well, was... I mean, should we, should we start there? Should we start with the, the most forgettable ones? <laughs> yeah, let's start with phase ones, the worst ones. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, have, I have some issues with phase three. Really? And okay. that's how we're going to, yeah, that's, I think that's how we're going to break it down. We're going to go into phases. We're not going to laboriously explain each one, because um, <laughs> I haven't seen every Marvel Cinematic Universe film. You have. Almost. There, there's yeah. only one I'm missing, which we'll get to. But um, okay. yes, I have seen all but one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Mm-hmm. But honestly, phase one was actually probably my least favorite. I didn't, I didn't really care for the early ones. I mean, obviously, Iron Man's fine. Everyone loves Iron Man. But Captain America and Thor kind of left me a little bit cold, and it's because, personally, I think it's because they hadn't figured out the formula yet. They were still kind of experimenting and playing. But, Joan, what is that formula? Should we oh. probably explain that and parse that out? Yes, let's, let's parse that out. Uh, yeah. There is a hero. He's not a hero mm-hmm. quite yet. No. He's, he's brash, and he's all about himself. Yeah. That we're jerk. basically going to explain the plot of the first Iron Man film. <laughs> exactly. 
So yes, he's he's hugely successful. However, single, you know, he doesn't he or she, or she we'll get to she later uh, eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't have a romantic interest in their life. You know, they're kind of a Lothario. Mm-hmm. Uh, very brash and arrogant. Hugely financially successful, but you know, don't, don't only living for themselves. Let's say that is until they encounter a tragedy, mm-hmm. some kind of personal uh, fall from grace, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then from there, uh, they use their their skills in either you know technology or something like that, build themselves up, mm-hmm. and then learn they have to live and save others. And then a mirror version of themselves <laughs> comes back later, the other side of the coin, if you will, um, offers some kind of partnership. There's there's a little thing, uh, an implication of a partnership, maybe. <laughs> there's a there's a temptation. Yes. There's always a this could be the dark path. Yes. But instead, the the hero chooses the 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 correct way, the way mm-hmm. of saving people, and then they they end up in a skirmish in a rather gray and generic location. <laughs> of course, <laughs> you're also forgetting the second act twist, where the character kind of discovers something about their either mentor or father figure not being the most upstanding hero, potentially. Let's say uh, that. that's a, that's a good one. Yeah, that, I don't. I find that doesn't happen in every single one. Mm, it happens and in it, a lot of them. Yeah, and in, in some cases, it's kind of shoehorned in. Um, in particular, let's look at maybe the worst example, and that's Iron Man Two. I gotta mm-hmm. say, I um, among this among the cinematic universe, I gotta say Iron Man is is definitely up there for me. Mm-hmm. Definitely, really set the standard that the, that the rest of these movies followed. However. It it almost ended with Iron Man two because that movie is such a mess. <laughs> and while it's not it's not a bad film, I, I remember myself being like incredibly bored and wondering like what's what is all this leading up to other no, than I, like other than being a trailer for like eight other movies down the line. Yeah, exactly. And that's I think that was the ultimate lesson that they learned from Iron Man two was basically like they were like holy shit we did not know that Iron Man was going to be this much of a hit greenlight a sequel yeah. immediately. And they rushed through, they wanted to set up this whole universe, which is exactly what the DC people did as well. It's like, no one cares. And so that's why they started pushing those little things to cameos. Again, keep them to less than five minutes if necessary. And then, you know, just leave them for the end credits. That way they don't get in the way of the story. Right. Yeah. The world building, as it were. Is it better to be feared or respected? And I say, is it too much to ask for both? With that in mind, I humbly present the crown jewel of Stark Industries Freedom Line. It's the first missile system to incorporate our proprietary repulsor technology. They say the best weapon is one you never have to fire. I respectfully disagree. I prefer the weapon you only have to fire once. That's how Dad did it. That's how America does it. And it's worked out pretty well so far. Find an excuse to let one of these off the chain, and I personally guarantee you the bad guys won't even want to come out of their caves. Now, they do kind of follow the same template with the Incredible Hulk. I think the problem is, and this is where you have to rely on the characters, in that they have to be relatable and follow their own story in which they have some agency. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem that they keep running into with the Incredible Hulk is that he's supposed to have no control over uh, over his anger and his transformation into this big green guy. Exactly. And even though everyone loves 
Mark Ruffalo now, there's obviously no desire to revisit a solo uh, Incredible Hulk movie again. He works better as a side character. Yeah. And I think that's probably true of Doctor Strange as well. Yeah. And you could probably say that, you could definitely say the same of uh, Black Widow. Is that her name? Yeah. (laughs) Whatever. Scarlett Johansson. She'll always be Scarlett Johansson because she has nothing, there's nothing to her character other than that black leather suit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Excuse me, Greg. She has a tragic backstory, okay? Oh, you're right. You're right. She can't have kids, all right? She's a monster. We'll, we'll get to the controversies of uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> but yeah, her and, and and Hawkeye, there's just not enough to these characters to really kind of pull them, or give them their own spotlight in their no. own movie. And again, even if it were, again, it would be following the same template. Oh, we were, you know, I was hot shot brash, and then I had this fall from grace, and I learned what a real hero does. Yeah, whereas... <laughs> You know, Hawkeye starts from that place. Uh, you could say Anthony Mackie as the Falcon starts from that place. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so that's why that's why they'll never get their own movie. That's why they're sidekicks. I gotta say, I, I, I have some. You're right. I think Phase One is the worst one in mm-hmm. terms of not only Iron Man Two, what a cobbled mess it is, but how boring Thor is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and all due respect to Kenneth Branagh, I think he was really phoning it in. I, just Dutch angles, Dutch angles, everything. I he seems to show more effort than he did Cinderella. I'll give him that. <laughs> That's not a high bar to cross. Yeah. Should we? I, I I'm glad you mentioned you mentioned Kenneth Branagh. Is that a good segue into the filmmakers and the people who steward this along alongside Kevin Feige? Uh, yes. I mean, I don't know how we kind of talk about that because again, like this is definitely a producer-driven series. Mm-hmm. And it's all about Kevin Feige and his uh, his kind of vision. And the directors kind of seem like afterthoughts. Although there, you do kind of get a little sense of their personality. And when we get to phase three, we can talk about how they're kind of getting a little bit more creative control. But yeah, there's not a lot of personal stamps on any of these films, especially in phase one. No, and I don't know. I I think that is to the movies de- or the demerits of the films. Mm-hmm. And I think what they kind of realize is that we're not making movies here we're making basically episodes yeah to a grand, uh, like standalone episodes to a grander vision and i think that's why they, they it was such a brilliant move to bring on the russo brothers who have mm-hmm. who have worked on some of the greatest sitcoms of the last uh, 15 years or so mm-hmm. including arrested development community they know how to put they know how to do like a standalone entertaining episode while continuing like a season long arc Mm-hmm. Exactly. As they definitely do in Arrested Development. But then, and maybe we're getting a little too ahead of ourselves, they brought on James Gunn to do Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which he also did the screenplay for. And again, Well, that... he did he did Guardians of the Galaxy 1 as well. Oh, sorry. sorry that's yeah. what I meant to say, Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. It's, just, it's all sequels in my head now. But that one definitely has a personal stamp to it, and that definitely feels like a film that he wanted to make. And maybe yeah, it's no. because, and maybe it's because this is not kind of a like the Guardians of the Galaxy. Obviously, no one had any idea who they were before they decided to adapt them into a movie. Maybe that's why they kind of felt the chance to give the director a little more freedom, kind of put more of a personal statement on it. Maybe, and I, I, I gotta say that's the other kind of achievement because you and I may be cinephiles, but we know nothing about Iron Man or <laughs> Thor. Like we don't give a crap about any of these characters, so it is somewhat of an achievement to somehow get us personally invested in their stories. Exactly, and get people keep keep people in the, their butts in the seats at, for film after film after film. I mean, even though even though there's been so many movies, can you really say that any of them have really had an arc? <laughs> sure, I mean, well. <laughs> 
Tony Stark, I, I guess, goes through kind of different permutations. First, as a as a Lothario, like or a selfish person learning to live selflessly. It also we see touches of him trying to be a father figure. Very slim touches. I won't I won't give it too much credit. But <laughs> that is true. in okay. Spider-Man: Homecoming, he becomes mm-hmm. somewhat of a father figure. Um, we see him try to become a better husband in Iron Man Three. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there, there's some a little bit more dimension to him. But I feel like their stories kind of go in these loops. And again, it's probably because they well, each get yeah. their own little single movies. But it's like, you talk about Iron Man, like all his movies kind of have the same arc where he's like, he gets a little too big for his britches, has to be knocked down again and realize what a true hero is. And with Captain America, it's kind of the, it's kind of the opposite where he kind of comes in as like this gung-ho, yeah, America's the best, <laughs> like kind of um, naive person. And then kind of has to realize that the world doesn't work the way he kind of envisioned. Like, you know, his bright-eyed optimism kind of gets dimmed a little bit in all his kind of movies. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe we should talk about Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which I think, if we talk about critical consensus, is considered the best of these movies. I mean, without maybe the exception of The Avengers, but The Avengers is kind of, is, is, pu- is the purest form of pop- popcorn spectacle. Absolutely, so. yeah. That's yeah. maybe where it should have ended. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, I mean, then you wouldn't get The Winter Soldier. I, I guess, but... You know, Which I, I know you love. I think that's your favorite, right? Well, no, I, I would say The Avengers is. Um, okay. The Winter Soldier is fine. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing I can't square is that, I guess we should also speak to, they, they try to blend in a little bit more genres as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are pretty light, you know, action, comedic action films. Mm-hmm. And The Winter Soldier tries to bring in a, a little bit more of a thrilling component, but I can't quite square how the government gets taken over by an evil Nazi organization and, you know, requires one man to punch his way out of it. <laughs> whoa, whoa, big guy. I just want you to know, Cap. It's in Feels personal. <laughs> so, I mean, like, this I is a series I... with aliens and transportation and trans, uh, like uh, teleportation and things like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> and a guy who literally like transforms into a giant green beast. And yeah. so, <laughs> I, I couldn't quite you know square those two elements. Okay. <laughs> In spite of how like you know how much they they do achieve what they set out to, mm-hmm. which is to kind of create like a government thriller inside the inside the mold of a superhero story yeah and i think like that one's definitely successful at that others i think are less successful like they claim that ant-man is a heist film kind of disguised as a marvel film and that's actually one Mm. of my least favorite i did not like ant-man at all (laughs) well why i mean you know because we should say like it's also an achievement how they get all the personnel for this and Mm. and that seems to be like the the most incredible collection of talent, not only in stars Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas, of all people. <laughs> like, Michael Douglas. They had Robert Redford in The Winter Soldier. Can you believe that? Like, how do they get these people? But I guess um, that's another testament I know how. To... They roll up with a dump truck full of money. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> like, hey, you want you, you need another, like, box office hit to, like, sign on to our movies. But anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, that kind of raises the question is, like, there's there's talks about you know how long how much longer can they keep this going with the stars they have because eventually the stars mm-hmm. are going to want to move on or they're going to age out of the actual roles they're playing 
but it's like and besides the fact that they've digitized all of them so they can use them at nauseum forever <laughs> yeah, that's um like do you think do you think these movies would have been as successful as if, if they got like kind of lesser known people because i mean it's not like spider-man uh who plays spider-man tom holland tom holland is that it's not like yeah. he was he was a huge star before he took that role yeah, and you know Robert Downey Jr. had had some interesting roles before he took on uh, Iron Man, and now he's the, what the biggest star in the world. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or so, Chris Pratt. Yeah, but I think it does give a little bit more texture because now I, now I'm comparing it to their TV projects, mm-hmm. and obviously they don't have a lot of big names in their TV projects, and so like there's something about it that doesn't capture my attention in the same way as uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as as Doctor Strange as Paul Rudd as the Ant Man or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that goes back to movie. Like, this works a lot more for movies than it does for TV, because, again, you get that nice kind of immediate story. They have that formula, and it works for two hours, and then you're done. These TV shows, Mm -hmm. you either have, like, these Netflix ones, like uh, Jessica Jones or Daredevil, which are a slog for ten episodes, and just kind of dreary and lame, or then you have this um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is, like, ridiculous, campy 90s sci-fi show. (laughs) Yeah, like we literally have Pat Oswalt playing like five characters. <laughs> yeah, he's like a five set identical of twins or yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of speaking of references to Arrested Development. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, I think this like there's a reason why the movies get all the attention and kind of get all the love because I just don't think it works for TV because again you want like this is popcorn fare it's a good satisfying two hours and you're not going to end up disappointed at the end whereas like TV that's a much bigger investment. And you have so many different, more different personalities kind of injecting what they think this TV show should kind of be. And you can't really change it midstream like you can a movie. Like, let's go to, like, Thor Ragnarok. That is completely (laughs) different than the first two. And it works so much better for it. And because they had the ability to kind of change stream, but you can't really do that with a TV show. I guess you're right. Uh, yeah. I will give credit to, now we're talking about Phase 3, mm-hmm. how at least in Phase 3, all the movies look distinctive in a way. Mm-hmm. And I'm speaking, like looking at Thor Ragnarok, how how kaleidoscopically colorful <laughs> it is compared to the other two Thor movies. <laughs> yeah. And how much they injected so much impro- improvisational humor. Mm-hmm. Um, compare that to Doctor Strange and the, and the wonderful effects. I mean, it really... <laughs> It, all credit to Kevin Fahey. We really should give more credit to the wonderful special effects artists working behind the scenes. <laughs> Those hardworking special effects I know. artists. Yeah. <laughs> putting in 30-hour days. Yeah. <laughs> who get none of the credit who are, you know, putting, probably, probably making these movies as effective as they are. Exactly. Well, and I think it's also, it speaks to kind of part of the reason why the DC universe kind of failed is that they already had this plan in motion. They already mm-hmm. had like nine films in development before like they realized oh shit this is garbage yeah <laughs> whereas like the marvel they kind of were they had the ability to kind of be a little more uh fleet of foot shall we say they were more flexible and you can kind of tell as the movies kind of go on the reason why they don't feel like they're getting stale or they're getting any worse is because mm-hmm. they're responding to what the audience wants and you think so i think so because again you brought up the fact that the movies are a lot more colorful well it's because mm-hmm. Like, talk about Phase 2, like the Winter Soldier. It's like, a lot of those movies were very gray. They were very kind of dreary. Yeah. And I think they changed things up. They're like, all right, let's focus a little bit more on color. Let's, you know, make the costumes pop a lot more. Like, let's not try to, like, just make everything look like X-Men from the 2000s. Yeah. You know, like, let's make it look like an actual comic book. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that was the that was the market demand or something like that. I, that's what I'm always wondering. Like our 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 audiences, no matter what like Marvel puts out, our audience is going to see it anyway. Mm. So are they like responding to the demands of the market, or is the market just following along with whatever the heck the Marvel Cinematic Universe does? Yeah, and I think that's the other interesting thing when you have to talk about these movies is the fact that it, they do have two different audiences. You have mm-hmm. the massive popcorn munching people like that yeah. huge that makes 90 percent of the people go see these films but then you have this very vocal 10 percent let's call them <laughs> generously nerdy contingent who really cares that you know it follows the story oh my god there's an easter egg for uh... <laughs> here's what i think's gonna happen next they're gonna introduce the fantastic four yeah, that's that's why i'm i'm thankful that that they i think they acknowledge that that contingent is so small <laughs> Or they, uh, they they don't acknowledge it, but they know that that contingent is so small. No, they know that the market share is very, very tiny. Yeah. Versus, say, the, yeah. the producers of Ghost in the Shell or something like that, who couldn't who couldn't see that writing on the wall. Yeah, exactly. Or DC. They're like, let's adapt The Dark Knight Returns. Like, only 10%, that, only that 10% cares about The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. John Q. Public does not care about The Dark Knight Returns. No. And, well, I think they, maybe they took this strategy from... Christopher Nolan films, and I, I'm sorry, I don't want to compare this to DC films, but um, what makes those those three Batman films that Christopher Nolan directed and Christian Bale starred in great mm-hmm. is that they only took like the best bits and pieces of these comic books, mm-hmm. and they didn't they didn't feel so beholden to a particular source material. And you can no, definitely see that. Not. Yeah, you can definitely see that here um, in like Thor Ragnarok, like taking, I know there's a weird storyline about the, the, the Hulk taking over a planet and becoming, <laughs> and, and doing an uprising against earth or something like that. Again, it's totally ridiculous, but they just take the idea of like the Hulk in an arena fight. Exactly. And extrapolate like a good scene out of that. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, we know each other. He's a friend from work. <clears throat> Where have you been? Everybody thought you were dead. So much has happened since I last saw you. I lost my hammer, like yesterday, so that's still pretty fresh. Loki, Loki's alive. Can you believe it? He's He's up there. Loki, look who it is. Oh, Banner, I, I, I never thought I would say this, but I, I'm happy to see you. Banner. Hey, Banner. No Banner, only Hulk. What are you doing? It's me. And it'll be interesting to see where they kind of go from here, because I think they're kind of running out of stories. Because <laughs> they've kind of adapted the best bits first, like the ones that people remember and also would make a good cinematic story. I'm kind of wondering, like, once all the weird stuff is left, <laughs> like, what's going to happen? Well, I, th- I think we're already there with uh, Thanos as, as the big baddie. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, because, well, I guess, the, I guess in the movie all he does is want to collect the five gems like mm-hmm. already already this sounds so juvenile <laughs> it says like oh he's got the infinity gauntlet with the five infinity stones <laughs> well his motivation in the comic is much much weirder so exactly that's and i wonder if they're going to touch on that when, once we finally get to this infinity war movie <laughs> but i mean they don't make interesting villains anyway so who cares yeah <laughs> yeah let's let's get to the, i don't want to be negative john you know us <laughs> we're of not course. negative or nitpicky <laughs> 
But I wanted to get you brought up an interesting point. Like, what what does it look like for a Marvel film to fail? Like, what would a bad Marvel film look like? Would it be too weird and beholden to the comic books? Would it be too dark? Would it be too light? I mean, see, that's that's the tricky thing because again, they're so beholden to formula, which mm-hmm. again makes none of them transcendent, like you said. But the only way I can see them kind of like shitting the bed is if they kind of again throw that completely out the window and just kind of make like a higgledy-piggledy mess of a story where the plot just and the character motivations just don't hold together which i don't think they'll do but it would be but part of me feels like i kind of want to see them try that because yeah. <laughs> again all these movies i i want to praise them for their consistency but i'm also like don't you want to try something a little bit new don't you want to try something a little bit exciting like take some chances guys yeah i that's which, what, yeah, which I guess again, they do slowly. Again, like Phase Three, it's, you can see them slowly. Again, you bring on people like Take Wakititi, and it's like, okay, that's very much his film. And again, responding to like that whole Ant Man controversy, where it's like that was like Edgar Wright's baby, and it was going to be very much an Edgar Wright film, and they're like, yeah. no, it's got to fit in the, it's got to fit the style guide. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that a huge controversy, but yeah, you're right. I mean, but if, speaking of like. Wakiki or Watiti. I sorry, I can't pronounce his name. I'm butchering his name, but <laughs> you're racist. I, I know. I, I I apologize to New Zealanders everywhere, but I guess it's not it's not a huge stretch for him to direct a, a movie like that. I mean, he's he has a he has a track record of of kind of like fun movies. Mm-hmm. I but, guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah, but I think in comparison in comparison to let's say Christopher Nolan's movies. Those movies transcend the superhero formula and genre, I think because they have a strong atmosphere and a strong message that it's trying to, and it's sometimes laboriously conveying. Mm. And I think that's I think that's what really kind of holds these Marvel movies back, is that you know they, they get the very basics down of like teamwork <laughs> and, and living for others instead of yourself. That's true. Besides... Black Panther, I think, again, rightfully deserves all the praise because it's the only one that kind of seems like it's trying to give you a message. It half-asses mm-hmm. it completely because, again, it doesn't want to okay. make anyone feel uncomfortable. But, you know, like, or worse yet, you don't want to fucking... I was like, but don't all lives matter? <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of want to give... <laughs> and again, like, ma- again, maybe they're slowly taking those risks. You know, maybe they're, they're like slowly, again, they're pushing the envelope, but at a very slow pace. <laughs> Wait, so what envelopes does uh, Black Panther push? I haven't seen it because I'm a virulent racist, so... <laughs> okay. Well, again, it, it tries to bring up the subject of institutionalized racism. And mm-hmm. again, the history of European colonization of Africa. Doesn't go too much into detail. It kind of, like, brings it up and it admits it exists, but I would have liked to seen it, like, kind of more brought to the forefront. Okay. For instance, like, the villain grew up in Oakland, California. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hearing that, we know what his life must have been like, but it's not like it's ever illustrated for us. It's not like we ever see a scene where a black kid gets beat up by a cop, or yeah, worse yet, or, shot. You know, yeah. it's, not, it's, not, it's not that complicated. Okay, it's not going to, yeah, it's not going to encounter that sort of darkness. Exactly. But it's yeah. like, because it brings up the fact he grew up in Oakland, California, you know, the, the character kind of tells us about the way he kind of grew up, and again, like, we know that this is kind of made predominantly for a black audience. It knows it's trying to get to that, but it doesn't yeah, show us. It doesn't go that far. It doesn't. I don't, th- you know, I don't think it was okay. made pr- predominantly for a black audience. I think it was made okay, for the right, biggest audience ever. <laughs> That's so. true. As all Marvel movies yeah. should be <laughs> for the audience, yeah, aka the world. But I, 
Yeah, that's why I see this. Um, speaking, going back to my question, like what what does it look like for the Marvel Cinematic Universe to fail? I don't mm-hmm. think it will. I think it, what it will is just kind of peter out. Yeah, and and we'll start to you know just the public interest will wane because again it's formula. Like so, how do you how do you switch up the formula? And I I don't think they'll ever take a big swing in either one direction or the other. And instead mm-hmm. they'll just be like they'll just go back to Thor or captain america levels of success which were like you know okay they did well for at the box office and with critics or something like that but they didn't it wasn't really until like the marvel's the avengers that the really i think the movie going public like, exactly really yeah. got invested and it became kind of an appointment viewing yeah because and I, th- I think people are hoping for a payoff like that was no and that's true and again like with infinity war coming out which is why we're doing this whole episode mm-hmm. again it feels like it's kind of coming to a conclusion so it'll be interesting to see where it goes after this, because, again, we have another Spider-Man movie coming out after that. We have another Guardians of the Galaxy movie coming out after that. It's like, where are they going to go from there? Especially since, you know, it would be nice to see if Infinity War or Avengers 4 has some actual stakes. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> someone actually dies? <laughs> yeah, I, that's the other thing, too, like reaching that stasis, because I, I never feel that the hero is in danger in these movies. No, because yeah. again, you, like again, you can look at the production schedule. They already have like three more movies coming out. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder, like, because as as you said, like we already know where the plan is. Like literally after this Infinity War, which is supposed to be this big culmination of this giant war, it's followed by Ant Man again. <laughs> <laughs> like literally the littlest and slightest, you know, hero in the in the whole universe. <laughs> exactly. So what what is that going to look like? Are you just going to go back to like, hey, here's something fun? Like, or, or is the world literally going to change as as they keep saying in their trailers? The world exactly. is changing. Well, also, yeah, and he's got this infinity gauntlet that can apparently warp reality however he wants. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and then you expect the people of New York to just go back to business as usual after their city gets demolished by aliens again. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the other weird thing about this movie is the fact these movies is the fact that it's supposed to kind of like at least feel like it could take place in our world, but it's like the technology is getting kind of ridiculous. That's and why, again, yeah, that's aliens why are attacking really... every other week. <laughs> yeah, that's why I really need to see. Black Panther because it felt like it felt like a bridge too far sort of mm. like I was looking at those trailers and I'm like it's like they turned uh, the Wakanda which again isn't a real place like I know that's why some people really identify with Marvel films because they take place in New York City or San Francisco or Washington DC for instance mm-hmm. and now we're kind of like getting further and further away from that reality with a with a African with a fictional African country that again looks like it could be out of like the year 2085 Exactly. And again, the movies have increasingly started taking place in space. So, yeah. like, Thor completely takes place off our world, so. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying it has to look like a, like, a, like a Christopher Nolan movie or something like that, but, you know, no, maybe, like, modulate. Yeah, exactly. Too much gray. I want, I want colors. Blues, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, the, the colors I don't mind. You know what I do hope in Phase 4 that we get mm-hmm. back to? And this is just a production niggle of mine. Mm-hmm. You know what I hope they get back to? Natural lighting. <laughs> Greg, you can't do natural lighting on green screen, okay? I, Everything exactly. Has, everything's I, green it's screen. become so abundantly clear that these movies are so big that they have to film them all on a soundstage in Atlanta. Exactly. <laughs> and that's why that's why Spider-Man Homecoming was so refreshing, because it looks like they literally filmed in Queens. Mm-hmm. But then again, even that movie like points to another problem, is that like I never feel that the, the hero's in danger, and especially in Phase 3, which I feel is could be like the weakest stretch or something like that is that these these the good guys are completely invulnerable they like survive plane crashes 
I don't know. I don't. I definitely don't think Phase Three is the weakest. I think these movies are only getting stronger and stronger, because again, they they respond to criticism. They've they're taking they're pushing that envelope just very very slowly, and I I am looking forward to see what they do next. But I think you're right. But I but that's kind of the point of comic book narrative is the fact that the villains and the heroes come back every week and they fight again. And that's no, oh, yeah, that's that's like the six-year-old in that, me is yeah, like, I can't wait for the next episode, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's entertainment in general, always going exactly. back to stasis. So, mm-hmm. uh, again, again it could be just audiences' expectations. I'm I'm different, yeah. obviously. Like I want, I went down to earth and real, what <laughs> lives changed and ruined forever. <laughs> no, but that's the challenge that they set up for themselves is that they're giving it this grand narrative. So mm-hmm. it's like, how do you? you know keep people coming back for the same movie again and again but also are setting up this this grander scheme this larger plot so it'll it'll be interesting yeah well i, I think it requires the the introduction of new characters and storylines mm-hmm. and it looks like we're getting that with captain marvel finally our first female super centered superhero movie finally I, come on <sighs> Your Hashtag, move, Wonder Woman 2. Yeah. Hashtag, it's 2019. Hello. <laughs> that's a, that's a terrible character. hashtag. Yeah, that won't trend at all. <laughs> that's another character that they'll have to uh, kind of expunge a lot of its uh, backstory. Because, oh boy. What, what, what's, uh, what's up with uh, Captain Marvel? Well, so Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Carol Danvers, used to be Ms. Marvel, the sidekick. Ah. And it wasn't until the 90s she actually took up the full mantle of Captain Marvel because she was way more popular than the original Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Marvel, an alien from a distant planet. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> is she an alien herself? or No, she's not. She was a human who was caught in some kind of alien explosion, and that's how she got superpowers. Nice. I think, actually, the original Captain Marvel is from the same race that the bad guy from Guardians of the Galaxy was part of? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's fine. See, that's the, that's the other fun thing about these movies. You go home, you put on YouTube, and there's, there's like a video explaining all the backstory to all this crazy shit from the comics. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it requires no work on your part. No! And you're immediately caught up. Exactly. And it stays in your brain forever until you can't remember your own nephew's name. <laughs> Scott, I want to say. <laughs> I think it's Simon. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. If there's, it's fine. If there's two words to sum up this whole this whole 18 film trek that we've encountered, it's, it's all fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's a good time with the movies, and you know what? We need it, okay? Because the Trump presidency is not getting any shorter. <laughs> I disagree. Yes, actually, no. I I completely agree. These are the movies we need right now. <laughs> These are. The- Everyone wants to, like is so quick to compare them to westerns too. They're like, oh well, what? westerns didn't last forever, you know, as like the big kind of Hollywood trend. I, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up. I compare it to like musicals in the '50s. Okay, <laughs> again, because, another big yeah, trend. Yeah, yeah, another like huge trend. And I just worry in like 20 years time, we're gonna be like, hey, remember those superhero movies? <laughs> remember we oh. used to go to the movie house and they were in in color and focus. <laughs> You didn't have to wear those stupid headsets or put you know put them on your holodecks. You just yeah. went to the theater and watched them. <laughs> yeah. We used our movie pass. We used to have these cards. You see, you didn't have to pay for everything with your thumbprint. <laughs> so hopefully, with our galactic brains, we won't fall into the same trap as our, our forebearers. And <laughs> oh, we will. Like, we oh, will. Yeah. We're no better than them. Let's be no, honest. That's true. Damn it. Oh well. Yeah. Well, that concludes our discussion of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> A perfect way to end it. Just a sigh and a, oh well. Yeah. Let's go enjoy Avengers colon Infinity War. I know, I sure will. Yeah. I'll be there 
Uh, probably Saturday. I'm not going opening night. Are you kidding? Come oh, on. heck, I, John, do you have your tickets already? I'm, I'm not going anywhere near opening weekend. I remember I remember waiting in line for the first Avengers. Actually, yes, and that room was so smelly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Who could forget the musk, the stank of all I, those nerds? Yeah, yeah it, was, it wasn't a... I, I had a good time at the theater until the lights went up and the people started talking. <laughs> oh, God, those dorks. Because, <laughs> John, I, we should say it was compounded, not just Marvel fans, but Joss Whedon fans. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. The worst. The scum of the earth. <laughs> I'm a feminist, I swear. I Get out of my face. Yeah. That, that's another thing to take away, John. We're just better than most people. <laughs> I mean, Marvel I, fans and Joss Whedon fans. That's naturally assumed. And also, if you put Marvel fans and Joss Whedon fans into a Venn diagram, you just get a circle. Like, uh, come on. I uh, Yeah, I agree. Yeah, come on. You think, like, people who are watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer weren't reading Marvel comics in the 90s? Come on. Uh, well, they, they, they went through a Spawn phase, I think. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. okay of course. <laughs> that was Spawn and the death of Superman, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, a Nightfall. Yes, Nightfall. That was the big one where uh, Batman was replaced. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't uh, know he that. Was, yeah. He was, uh, again, this this is the fun of YouTube. You learn all these things. <laughs> Nightfall was like Nightfall was like the uh, um, the big version of Death of Superman where Batman gets paralyzed from the waist down, so he can't be Batman anymore. That's actually okay. where the whole uh, Dark Knight Rises, where Bane breaks his back. That's oh, where that, okay. That's the comic book that's kind of like they pulled that from. Got it. Yeah. And then Oh, and fun fact. Um, the line, remember when Catwoman kind of disappears, and he goes, well, that's what that feels like. Yeah. That comes from a comic book called Kingdom Come. It's because Superman does it to him. Superman just darts out of the room, and he goes, well, that's what that feels like. Fun fact. Fun fact. Fun. Nice. Now I'm just picturing the very erudite, you know, uh, Christopher (laughs) Nolan looking over comic books and and, with a highlighter or something like that. Like, oh, yes, I should take that. No, that was... With this project, we're trying to, you know... (laughs) That was David S. Goyer's job. <laughs> okay. Oh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> That's, those comic books are beneath Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> he sent David S. Goyer, he gave him like a stack of books. He's like, pick out the best stuff and get me yeah. my latte. You know I like soy. <laughs> <laughs> no, John, Christopher Nolan is a, is a warm gentleman. <laughs> Never mistreat anybody. <laughs> All right. We need to still have our heroes, damn it. <laughs> sure. Oh. Uh. Well, I think that wraps this up nicely. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yes, and until next time, keep aspiring. And social media and all that other stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's for the full episodes. Yeah, right.